Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. My name is Alex, but fun fact, there are two of us. There's another one. His name is the following. Alaric. Hello, Alex. Hello. Um, how are you? Are you having a good time? Yeah, I'm on the half term at the moment. and um, So you are. My wrist has gone weird. Your wrist has gone weird. I think I got bitten by a spider and it's gone all sorts of colours. Oh. Sorry about uh, that, listeners. Have you Quite had that looked at? Uh, I've looked at it a lot, and no, no, I haven't. Okay, well, I'm sure you'll be fine. Yep. Uh, listeners, um, I do actually have a backup host. <laughs> should uh, should should Alaric no longer be uh, uh, predisposed? I haven't asked them yet, but I figured they'll they'll probably say that they'd want to be on it. So we're good, we're good. Don't worry about that. The show will carry on if Alaric dies. Um, do you want to do some mathematics, or do you have more like light stuff to talk about beforehand? No. Was that light? Uh, I mean, do you have any more heavy stuff? (laughs) Uh, No, no, let's dive in. I'm going to start off with a listener-suggested problem, um, because we've got lots to get through. Uh, This is one by Will Hemmons. Will Hemmons. I think it's a problem from his actual life, but I can't quite tell. It might be just made up as a puzzle. Okay. I think it's proper. Okay. Um... So, I'll read what the email here says. I have 30 players in my rugby squad, and I have a drill that tests their stamina and focus. The players are split into groups of various sizes and follow these steps. So, for N from 1 to 4, first they're going to run N lengths of the pitch, so they're going to do that from 1 to 4, and secondly, they're also going to then stand in a circle and pass the ball to the player N places to their right until the ball returns to the first player in that group. His question of this is, if he wants each player to pass the ball exactly once during each of the four iterations of the drill, so from one to four, how many different ways can he split up his 30 people in the squad? Each to throw it exactly once. Let's say we had a little subgroup of three people. Yeah. Then uh, N equals one. So they'd all three of them would run one length of the pitch. Yeah. And then they stand in a circle, the three of them, kind of a triangle. And then they pass the ball to the players one place to their right. So it would just go around the triangle until it returned to the first player. And then they do the same thing for n equals two. So they run two lengths of the pitch. And then they pass to the player two places to their right. Mm-hmm. So just go the other way around the triangle. Yeah. Then they run three lengths of the pitch. And at yeah. that point, the player that had the ball would pass to themselves. Okay. That's a case of someone not... Uh, not everyone passes the same amount. Because not everyone would have passed the ball exactly once in that iteration. Sure. So, splitting people into groups of three isn't a good idea here. Okay. So, if I want each player to pass the ball exactly once during each of the four iterations of the drill, how many different ways can I split up the 30 players? Okay. So, it's clear that you can't have any number that is equal to 1 to 4 because you'll have the issue you talked about just then of himself oh you can't have groups of 1, 2, 3 or 4 to- I'm not convinced himself. on the 1 case yeah well it's how you define it isn't it so in the, the problem we're having with 2 and 3 and 4 is say for the n equals 2 case for 2 then the person just passes to themselves and there's someone left out it's fine when n equals 1 because for the n equals 1 case they pass to themselves yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, all one of them would have passed the same amount. 
the group sizes are clearly between 1 and 30. Yep. The first thing to do to find all the different ways of splitting up the 30 players is to find every different possible group size, and then we do the, then we try the rhythm thing that we, that we did in the previous... Because we know the solution to that from the previous episode. How many different ways can you split up into certain, a certain size of thing? We, have, we found the recursive formula for that. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah. That was the follow-up to the music. So we can do that for any number of things. So if we just find the smaller the group subset. size as possible. Yeah, okay, cool. So one, we're happy for the n equals one case. It's actually yep. fine in all cases, isn't it? Because we could, for n equals two, they're just passing yep. to themselves and so on. Yep. The requirement here isn't that you get n, n throws, it's that all n have an equal number of catching. Yes. What it does mean is that if you had someone split into a group of one and all the other players split into groups of bigger than that, that they would have an easier time. I imagine it's easier to throw to yourself. If you, if you were trying to get the same yeah, amount of training sure. for each person. Yes, yes, they would have an easier time of it. But let's not add extra restrictions into this. We can think about who's getting an easy ride later. If that counts exactly one, if not, we can get rid of it. Cool. For the cases two, three, and four, that is not going to work because everyone else will be left out. Yep. Shall we look at what happens with five then? So I actually have an easier, lower hanging fruit to pluck. Okay. Even numbers are ruled out. Uh, I I can see why, and I'm going to put in a bid for multiples of three as well. Yes, that's also what I was thinking as well. Yep. So multiples of two, multiples of three, and multiples of four, which happen to be multiples, multiples of two, two. Yep. Uh, are ruled out. So Sh- Shall we uh, talk that through? Sure. So let's say that we have six people. Yep. And n is 2. Yep. Actually, let's use 12 as an example. To do all... Let's say you have, let's say you have 12 people, yeah, because yep. it gets all of them in one. And n equals 2, then the first person who's throwing will throw to themselves. Then person number 3, person number 5, person number 7, 9, 11, and then back to themselves. Five. Assuming they're person number 1. For the n equals 2 case. Yep. For the n equals 2 case. For the n equals 3 case, they'll, they're person number 1, they'll throw it to person number 4. 7, 10, and then back to themselves. Yep. And so all the others are left out. And for the 4 case, they'll throw it to 5, 9, and then back to themselves. So everyone else is left out. So clearly, multiples of 2, 3, and 4 are ruled out because that will happen. Okay. So I think we should write up the numbers 1 to 30 and uh, well, scrub out a bunch of them. The We're essentially going to be left with the primes. Apart from at the beginning, because we get a 1 left over where it shouldn't be, and we don't get 2 and 3, where we should do, because they're normally prime. The smallest number that is non-prime, that doesn't have factors of 2 or 3, would be 5 times 7, which is 35, which is okay. outside of the realm of the um, the size of the squad. So all the primes, well, all the primes get 2 and 3, follow the restriction that it's not allowed to be from 1 to 4, or a multiple of... Two to four. Yep. Okay. Now, do we know that the other ones are going to work? I think that's true. So, if we just picked uh, an illustrative one, I don't know, 13. Yeah. Um, then we only care about n equals one or two or three or four. Well, in that case, when we do n equals one, it, it doesn't get anywhere near close enough around... Hmm. Let me think. So, here's the thing. If it didn't get back to the first person at some point, yep. then... Where's the ball gone? <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. So that's fine. So it's it's definitely it's it's going to reach back to the, the back to the person. If it hit somebody 
for the second time. Yep. But someone else had been left out. Then clearly, that's a like a subgroup. You, that's clearly because because yeah. yeah. um because in the twelve case when n was four, only three people got it. Yep. And when n was three, four people got it. So the number of people who get it is the group divided by that number. I'm happy with that. Yep. Yeah. It's, and it's so, modular arithmetic. We're talking about whether these numbers divide into it. Yeah, basically. So the group sizes then is one, and then it's all the primes from between five and thirty. Yep. Inclusive. How many how many primes is that? So we've got one, five, seven, eleven, thirteen, seventeen, nineteen, twenty-three, twenty-nine. Okay. So we've got nine in total. So eight of them primes plus one. So then if we load up a bunch of ones on this, on it, you remember last time it was like the solution to how many different ways can you split up a group of size N into a bunch of different subgroups of a certain size. Was that like recursive thing? Yep. Where the the number was equal to uh, uh, that, whatever that was in the N minus the group size position. For, for all the different possible group sizes. Don't we just have to, like, preload, front load a bunch of ones, like 29 ones, and then just calculate that going forward? I know that we have an n minus n 29 in there. So does that mean the 30th element is just the sum of the number of different primes there, or do we have to extrapolate the formula going forward 30 times? I, d- I don't really remember the process. The process of... of? Of what we did on previous episodes. Can you remember it? I don't remember where the zero was indexed. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know where, where, where it started. Should we try one out to see where it's where we're counting from? Like, a one where we can easily verify it. So, splitting up five into twos and threes, say. What was the method there? It, well, it was how many different ways can you split anything into twos and threes? It was zero for one, one for two, one for three, one for four, and two five and so it was a whole lot of ones and then a number so the formula was f of five okay equals f of five minus two plus f of five minus three got it yep i remember but i don't know how much of that is like front-loaded ones like how many of those ones are like ones that you have to like assume and how many of them are propagated going forward you know yeah, I see. That's my problem right now. How many different ways can you split the following number into all the primes below 30 except for 2 and 3 and also including 1? Yep. How many How many can you split 1? Well, that's 1. How many can you split 2? Well, that's also 1. How many can you split 3? Well, that's 1. How many can you split 4? Well, that's also 1. How many can you split? Five is two. Because you can split into one and five. Yep. And then I think I think that's it. And then we just propagate the um we just propagate it forward. Okay. Because you have a bunch of leading zeros in front of all of that. It feels like it hasn't taken into account the information that we also want to split into sevens or elevens or whatever. But you're saying that the because the formula is of the format F of uh, in this case thirty equals F of Related to each of those other divisions, you're saying yeah. you're you're claiming it takes into account that 
The formula has the information, yeah. Okay, so the formula is of the form f of 30 equals f of 30 minus 29 plus f of 30 minus 23, and so on. A job for Excel, I would say. Yeah, cool. So we're trying to use the music formula, and we've just realised that we can't use it because it cared about the order. Yep. And so what we're going to have to do is count the number of... uh, How does this work? You have to count the number of different groups that there are in that and just reverse the permutations. Just divide by the number of groups factorial. Okay, I I think that will work. If we think about splitting up, let's say we could uh, split 30 into 23 and 7 because that is a valid way. Yeah. That is one way. Plus, we also get all of the ways where you could decompose the 23, keeping the 7 the same, plus you get all the ways that you could decompose the 7, keeping the 23 the same. Mm, No, some of these will end up being the same. Yeah. Okay, your way you were talking about using our original method, but then dividing by how many times they occur? Yeah, but I don't know how to calculate that. No, because our way told us how many there were but not how they were composed maybe we just go back to basics with this let's do our classic thing of build it up with small numbers see what the pattern is work from there yeah okay and why not let's just do it with the numbers that we have let's start our table here so if we're splitting up a rugby squad of one there is one way to split it into ones and fives and sevens and whatever uh yes there is one way okay that is also true for groups of two or three or four or... F- well, those are all true just because you can split them to ones. Yeah. For five, there are two ways because it could be five or five ones. Yes. So that's the first one, which is two. That's the first one, yeah. Okay, next one, six. It could be six ones or it could be a five and a one. Yeah. And this is the first one that different from the music sequence because... Yes. We don't want also the pattern 1-5 being different from 5-1. Yeah. So that's still 2. Mm-hmm. Okay. 7. Three ways. 5-1-1. One, one. Yep. 7. Yep. And all 1s. Yes. Yeah. So it feels like every time we go past a number, we're just adding 1. We haven't had in- any interaction between them yet. No. Let's keep going. Okay. I think it's b- because we've got 1s in there that it's just add 1 each time so far. Hmm. Okay, right, eight. Seven and one. Yep. Five and one and one and one. Yep. Or eight ones. Or eight ones. So once again, we haven't had an inter- interaction between the numbers there. Hmm. Okay, nine. Seven and one and one. Yep, same thing. Yeah. It's because we haven't had two lots of any of them yet. We haven't had two lots of the five? Yeah. So on the next one, ten, we've got our basic three of them plus an extra one from five five yeah okay 11 introduces a new one yeah which is one plus we've got seven with lots of ones so two plus we've got five and five and one three plus we've got five and lots of ones four plus we've got lots of ones five okay 12 this is the exact same because it's all of those just with an extra one on it we've got an extra one which is uh, 5 plus 7. Oh, of course, 1, 12, yeah. Okay, so this is the first time something interesting's happened that didn't match your pattern of every time you meet a new one. 
Yeah. It's like we get one every time there's an interaction between... Well, tier one is that we get a new number that fits under. Tier two is we get a combination of two numbers that pass under. Tier three is we get an a interaction of three numbers that all fit under together. Oh, they will. There will be three numbers, won't there? I was <laughs> I was just starting to write out a grid where we can have all the, all the interactions between two, but going to be interactions between three as well. And that's going to carry on going up, because if we get to n equals 30, I mean, we could have six fives. Yeah. So, if we think about 30, if we just think about how many interactions of all the numbers there are, can I tell you all the ones without ones? Because while you were writing the uh, the Excel thing, I, um, I churned it through. All the ways to do fives without ones in. All the ways to do 30s with no ones. Okay. There are only six of them. There's 23 and 7, 19, 11, 17, 13, 13, 7, 5, 5, 11, 7, 7, 5, and 6, 5s. And you're certain of that? Yeah. Because there are not many ways of slotting together these big prime numbers and staying under 30. It, mm. If they quickly got to the middle, where you were just churning everything into 7s and 5s and things. Right. I... I did a kind of greedy algorithm here. I, I went chunk out biggest first. Sure. Sure. Okay, and how many of those are there? Six. Six. One of the ways which made it easier for myself is all of these numbers I was dealing with were odd, and I was trying to make them sum to get a number 30. So there had to be pairs of them. Here there are either two or four or six of them. And mm. so because of that restriction, it meant there weren't many ways that they could fall. Okay. Well, we've got an answer if we don't want people to be in groups by themselves. Yes, so we do have an answer if we don't want people to be in groups by themselves, yeah. So, if the spirit of the problem in splitting the rugby team was you wanted the same number of throws to happen in each group, not that just everybody within the group did an equal number of throws, then um, the answer is six. There are six ways of splitting it up. Yeah. Uh, grouping people by themselves makes it grow quite large. Makes it quite difficult. Yeah. Uh, there's also the added problem is that children are distinct. I'm assuming children for some reason. It's always children in math problems. Um, and so it would be more like for each one of those cases that you had, let's say it's six fives, it'll be 30, choose five, choose five, choose five, choose five, choose five, choose five, right? It's the... Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, you're not dealing with faceless masses. Well, if you are if you are dealing with faceless masses, and you don't want to have any ones, the answer is six. The combinatorics bit on top isn't that bad. So, for example, um, the number of ways of rearranging the letters in the word Alaric. The word Alaric has two A's, but the other four letters are distinct. Yeah. It'd be six factorial over two factorial. Six factorial because there are six objects, six letters in the word Alaric. Yeah. Two factorial yeah. because there's a repeat. So if we did know our ways of splitting them up, uh, and then you cared about, okay, where does little Johnny go in your uh, particular splitting up, then uh, that's not too bad as a problem. Incidentally, for those who are curious, if, you, if it matters the order in which you line the groups up along the, the sideline, so they can run their length of the pitch, or whatever it was, then the music formula does work, because... You know, one and five is different from five and one. Okay. And so the answer there, as I did actually extrapolate the formula, is 13,980. And is that bigger or smaller than the real answer? 
That'll be bigger than the yeah the real answer. Okay. But for each one of the different ways of splitting it up, you need to divide by like the appropriate permutations to shrink it back down. But struggling to see a nice, clean, formulaic way. You could totally do this by hand, but it's a, it's a nice, clean, formulaic way of doing it. Is a, yeah, is, is is the issue. What what we're after is something like the music formula that we can be like, oh, okay, this is how you do it for any. Yeah, I and, I think uh, I need to look into our decompositions again because I think, I think that's what we're doing here: decompositions and partitions. Yes, but I feel that every time a problem like this comes up, and they come up quite a lot. There's always something slightly different with them. There's a whole genre of problems here where they all look similar on first glance. Shout out to the number of different ways of doing 25 people in the rugby squad, which is 24-25. That's pretty cool, eh? Just a coincidence, I think. 101 times 25 minus 1. Anyway, it's quite clear I'm done with this. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, let's move on. Yep, listeners, email us in what you think we're probably going to take a look at it as well in the between time yep okay I have something for you it takes place in a familiar location okay in the past you have probably visited the infinite hotel Hilbert is it Hilbert's infinite hotel yep okay well this takes place the, the, the setup to this takes place in Hilbert's infinite hotel okay cool infinite number okay. of rooms with an integer number on them yeah yeah and we're starting from one say one two three yeah. four five all the way up to whatever actually this one is just, is going to be the 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 integers so not one two three four five but it goes in the negative number distance as well okay cool so here's the problem all the lights are off in all the rooms mm, okay and you need to turn as many of them on as you can yep you have one emotional robot. Okay. And that's the only staff member you have. You're at room zero, and you're standing there with the robot at room zero. The, the room numbers one to infinity is on, uh, is on one hand side, and the, the room numbers negative one to infinity are on the left hand side. Okay, yep. You've programmed a number of different sort of emotions into the robot. Okay. Uh, these different sort of emotional states. Yep. And it will determine what the robot does when it encounters a room. The emotional state it's in will determine how the robot interacts with the room. Uh, the, the robot can do a number of things. Okay. Um, the robot is capable of turning the light on if it's off, turning the light off if it's on. Yep. After it does each of these, it can move either left or right. Okay, so this is a Turing machine. This is a Turing machine. Right, let's talk about Turing machines then instead. Okay. <laughs> But I, I will use the language of the robot just to help listeners. So the emotional state is the set of instructions. So let's say that the robot is curious. Then if the light is off, it will turn it on, move one to the right. Okay. And w- let's say we'll stay curious. That's kind of like the definition of the curious emotional state. Okay, and so, so curious is go to the right. Because it wants to see the next one. Like, like turn it on, go to the right. Maybe call it being diligent or whatever. Anyway, whatever you name the emotional state, you could say when it encounters a room that is off, it turns it on and it moves to the right. Okay. And then it looks at the next room. So that isn't um, a flipping of states. That is a turn from off to on. Turn from off to on, yeah. Got it. If it encounters one that's on, 
let's say it could move to the surprised state, where it turns it off and it moves to the left, or something like that. Okay. Incidentally, another thing it can do is change its emotional state as as a reaction to that. So let's say it's curious until it finds one that's on, and it's like, oh god, this isn't right, and it moves into being scared. And so it turns it off and then it moves left, for example. Can it stay in the same place? No. Because then it would keep getting the same instruction. If it turned it on, it wouldn't get the same instruction. But it can leave the light alone. So either it flips it, leaves it alone. Uh, I think you can also do set to one, set to zero. So it's do nothing, flip it, set to one, set to zero. Those are the four instructions. A kind of true, false, not, or, and unity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or identity, sorry. Which I learned from that wonderful um, thing that I mentioned, the quantum computing lecture. I haven't watched I it yet. That. Okay. So it, it does that to the light. Off, on, flip state, do nothing. or And then move left or right, and then it can change its emotional state. Which and we will... there'll be lots of different possible emotional states, because each one's like a list of instructions. Each one is like a list of instructions. And so a two-state Turing machine yep. has two different emotional states that it can be in. If you're programming Turing machine, one of the reactions needs to be halt. So you need to have at least somewhere in there halt. Otherwise, it's just going to go on forever. Okay. We have to guarantee that it definitely gets to halt. I mean, you don't have to, but it's not a halting Turing machine if it doesn't halt at some point. Okay. Um, and, and so they're halting and, and non-halting ones. And so here's a question. If you have uh, an end-state Turing machine or a robot with n different emotional states. Yep. What is the most number of lights it can turn on before halting? So assuming that it does halt, I see. What is the the most number that it can switch on? I mean, immediately I'm thinking of Magic the Gathering when you uh we want something that doesn't go infinite. We want something with a finite get out. Yeah. So in Magic the Gathering the game, you're not allowed to say, "Oh, I do this infinite many times." You are allowed to say, I do this 10,000 times. Because yes. the whole uh, stack has to resolve. Yeah. This seems similar. Yeah, so let's say, for example, that I made a robot with one emotional state. Yep. And remember, all of these lights are off to start with. So the problem I see with that is you want to turn lots on, but if you yeah. have something that... When it goes to to the right a space, uh, if it encounters it off, it turns it on and then carries on its way. Well, that's always going to be true? Yes. Now, one thing that uh, I do need to mention is that an emotional state or a state can be halt. So halt is, is like an emotional state move. Yep. So in the one state Turing machine, the robot with one emotional state, you can have it say, turn on, move to the right, and then halt. Got it. Halting is an emotion. Yeah. Let's say. Yeah. Whereas if you didn't tell it to change its emotion, because cha- changing its emotion. You so can, just you can to keep... clarify, this is the one state, but you're saying emotion, uh, halt is an emotion. Yeah, so uh, halt doesn't count. It doesn't add to the total. We're in, it, it, we're it in computing world is. here. We're counting from zero, are we? Yeah, let's say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's say that. But anyway, so a two state Turing machine might have. Curious, frightened, and stop. Got it. Right. So let's use the the, the one state Turing machine. Yep. Turns it on, moves to the right, and then it doesn't have an emotional change in there. Like you didn't put it in. It would turn it on, move to the right, 
turn it on, move to the right, turn it on, move to the right, so on and so on and so on. Yep. And and that would be non-halting, even though it could have halt in the instructions somewhere, because you could have in the instructions, if you find one that's on, turn it off and halt. I see. Yep. But on a, but on a fully zero initialized hotel, you're not going to find that. Okay. So, if we go to the two-state one, we could get it to turn on an additional one by turning one on in its first state and moving to the right. And then in that next state, the new state, going to the right, but then halting. Like, after you've turned on the second light. That's not being particularly clever about it. This is just chaining on one extra light switch. Go through that one again? So, two state, yep. which is two state plus halt. Uh, state number one is it turns it on, the, the space it's on. Yep. It goes to the right and changes its state to state number two. Yep. State number two is... Uh, if it's off, you turn it on, you go to the right, and you go to the halt state. Yes. So, so th- you'll have turned on two, and that chains. So if you had N states, this is just a lower bound here, you could do N light bulbs by just each state is go to the next state, turn on a light bulb, but also move to the right. Until you've run out of states to go to, at which point you halt. Right. So that's like not doing any clever loops or anything, just churning away. So I will say that the highest one that's been found for two state, and it's not too hard to find for two state because there's only a uh, there's a relatively calculable number of um, of different possible states here. Yep, is four. Okay. There's a way to do it with four. Does it ever go left? Let's have a play. Okay. I'm going to use the fact that it can sometimes go left. So I'm going to have... I'll have two states. Should we call them friendly and confused? We start off friendly, we're going to go confused. Friendly? Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's going to start off in friendly. It's encountered it as zero. It's, It's encountered it off. So it's going to turn it on and go to the right. And it's also going to switch to confused. So just like in my first uh, example, it's turning a light bulb on, it's changing states, and it's going to the right. Yes, this is correct. By the way, I found the optimal one okay. uh, online. So uh, It's now one space to the right. Yeah. It's going to turn that one on. Yeah. And it's going to go to the left. Ah, so you've had it change its state. After it, so it's come to the first one. Yep. It's turned it on. It's moved to the right, and it's moved into the the ne- next emotional state. Yes. Because if you don't, you're just going to keep going on forever. Yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, the step number two was it's now confused. It yep. still turns it on, but it's going to go to the left. Going to go to the left, correct. And I'm not going to change states here because I'm going to. I think it's fine either way. I'm going to try it without changing states, and I might rewrite that yeah. in a minute. Okay, well now I'm on a space where I'm confused, but now it's um, it's already a 1. So I don't really want to change that. So I'm going to keep it a 1, but I'm going to... You're veering into non-optimal here. <laughs> okay, I'll, t- I'll talk you through why it went wrong. Okay. So it was uh, starting from the beginning. It was friendly. Yep. It turned the first one on, it went to the right, yep. and it became confused. Yep. When it was confused... Uh, it turned that one on, yep. but then it went to the left. Yep. Now, when I was at the left, uh, I'm still confused, 
If I keep that one of one and move back to the right, it carries on to the right two times, then goes to the left and then to the right two times. It's like it keeps doing it. It, it won't halt. It keeps filling into the one to the right, going two steps to the left again. Yeah. Like it, it gets caught in a loop where it's, it keeps halting. Yeah. It never halts. So the way that you write out a full set, set of instructions yep. is you have your columns are your states. Yep. Friendly and confused. Uh, your rows are the, it's called symbol, but it's what you've encountered. And on and off. I'd be calling them zeros and ones. Yep. Zero and one. Yep. Where zero is off, let's say. And then inside each of the boxes that you've created there, created yep. four boxes, you write what it writes, where it moves, and what its next state is. Got it. Yeah. And so for this, each... There's eight options, because there's uh, three binary things. Except for what its next state is can also be zero. So it's two, two, three. Ah, because of halting. Yep. Halt is state zero. So there are 12 options for each. Uh, yeah. So it'd be 12 to the four. Yes. And actually, the number of Turing machines with n states is 4n plus 4 to the power 2n. Got it. Yep. Um, which can be reduced to 2n plus 1 times 4n to the power 2n minus 2. So, in the, in the 2 state... So 2 state is about 21,000, because it's 12 to the 4. That's already massive. Yes, it's 12 times 12 times 12 times 12. Because in each box there's 12 different, but you can also have... But there are 4 boxes, right? Yeah. So it's 12 times 12 times 12 times 12. Yeah. Okay, well, knowing that the solution for this has to be four lights on, yeah. I'm feeling I have to go through all four of the states. I have to be both friendly and confused, reading both a zero and a what? No, I can't turn the one into another one. You can turn a one into a one. Yeah, but it's not, a, it's not getting me any more ones. So your turn it on and move right and then move into the second state is correct. Okay, well, let's let's try moving to the other state when I do the next thing then. So I'm in the second state. I read one which is off. I'm going to turn it on, go to left, and change states. Yep. I'll do so a bit now of you're in the position where you're in the first state, and this time you're reading a one before you're reading a zero. Yeah. Well, I feel like I want to go right again because that has more interesting stuff going on, the stuff I can react to. So I feel that I should probably leave the one as it is. Yep. Go to the right, change states. And then now you're in a position where this is the only one. This one needs halt in it now because this is you're in the fourth different type. So you're in encountering one while you're in state two. I see. Yeah. And so you're going to have to halt if you do that. And so I've only got two of them. Okay. Okay. So instead of that, then hmm. keep it as a one. Go to the right, but keep the state the same, which will make it go to the right and yeah. then straight away to the right again, where it reaches zero. Yeah. At that point, it's still friendly. I think this is infinite. Yeah, this this is infinite. Yeah. Hmm. So that doesn't halt. Yep. I want it going backwards and forwards over the same stuff. I think that makes sense in general, but in the 2x2 two two case, I think what counts as, as non-trivially going backwards and forwards over stuff is uh, potentially uh, hard to define. Okay. I've seen animations of, like, the three-state one, for example, and it does a lot of going, like, left and right and turning off a bunch of stuff that was previously on just to add one on the left or something like that. But uh, this one is just like, this is just a mental exercise. 
So I'll say your first two, so both of the reactions to zero that you have are correct. Okay. So I was playing around with the third move anyway. Which leads to a grand total of 144 different possible things you can do. <laughs> I know one of the, the one of the remaining things has to be a halt as well. Oh, that's true. So 144 divided by three. Is that divided by three? Yeah, it does. Just trying different options. I get keep getting caught in different loops. On my first move, I tried going... Uh, so this is... I'm in the friendly state, but I'm on a one. Yeah. I tried going to the left, turning it off, and going confused. Now, that gets me caught in the loop. So let's, ju- let's just get the order correct. So... Yeah, so you, you turn it I off. I turn the state move, first, and then yeah. you turn. Okay, yeah. Right. So I, I turned it off. I moved to the left, and I became confused. Yeah. Well, when I was confused, I'd then carry on going to the left. You would turn it on. Yep. I turn it on. I go to the left. I become friendly, but then I'd be on something which was off, and I'd be friendly. So I move to the right. Yeah. Having just turned it on. And then you need to hold. Uh. Well. I'd then be in the confused state. You'd be in the confused state, facing down at one. Which sends me back to the... No, well, that... Ah, uh, that's the new state. Confused and a one is, is one you haven't done yet, so that would have to be hold. And so at that point, I've lit up three of them. Right. Hey, pretty good. Hmm. In the solution to this... Yeah. Do all four of the unique states get encountered, and each of them turns one of the four on. I don't understand what you just said. Oh, uh, no, that, that can't be true, because some of them have to turn them... I, I suppose my question is, do all of them turn them on? What it writes is a one for all of them. By the way, the stuff I said earlier about, like, change it or do nothing, it's like, those are the same. If, if you have a zero and one, then you know, you're already writing your reaction to what a zero would be, so yeah, I either see. Flip, flip it or write one is the same as do nothing or write zero. So the only thing that you have for each state is what does it write a zero or one, and I will say for the one that does, the one that does all of them, for the two state four, is all ones. Is all ones, yeah. So all I've got to play with is left or right, friendly or confused, and possibly well one of them will be halt as well. Yeah, and it's probably not going to be state one with reacting to one, because that's your next one after you write two. And without loss of gener- generality, I can say that the first one moves to the right. Cool. So, right, and become confused. Having yep. turned on, because they're all going to yep. turn on. Yep. Left, and become friendly. Yep. I've already tried left and confused. So let's try... You fr- tried left and confused and turn it off, is what you tried. Okay. So left and confused, but turning on. Yeah. So in that state, we've turned another one on. So initially we had 0, 0, 0, 0, 0. Yeah. Then we had a 1 in room yep. number 0. Yeah. Then we turned room number 1 on as well. Yep. Moved to the left, became friendly. Yep. Then we keep that a 1. Yep. And we moved to the left, but we're confused. Yep. That is confused and 0, so we turn it on. 1. Yep. And go to the left and become friendly. Yeah. That turns it on, moves yep. it to the right, and we become confused on a one for the first time. Yes. And so then we keep it on and hold. Keep it on, doesn't matter which way you move, and then hold. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. 
Cool. That's the most you can do with two states. Now. And there the... was some loss of general. There were some bits which were equal. We could have gone. We could have reversed all the lefts and rights. Yep. We could have um... changed whatever the left and right is on, in the one that moves to halt. Yep. Because that one doesn't really matter. And it's probably a bunch of other stuff too <laughs> in the more complicated ones. So, yes, and so the Turing machine or the emotional robot that turns the most on is called the Busy Beaver. Okay. And uh, the the function which dictates uh, what the most number that you can turn on for any number of states is called the Busy Beaver function. Okay. And uh, fun fact about the Busy Beaver function, it goes up really quite quickly. <laughs> I imagine. So it starts off slow and then it's incredibly fast. So Busy Beaver for one is one. The Busy Beaver for two is four, as we just calculated. Yep. The Busy Beaver for three is six, as we just calculated. Well, as, you know. That's the, not the, that much more. The Busy Beaver for three is six. Hold your horses. <laughs> the Busy Beaver for four is 13. Yep. Uh, the Busy Beaver for five, we don't know what it is, but we know it's bigger than 4,098. Okay. And the Busy Beaver for six... We don't know what it is, but we know it's bigger than 3.514 times 10 to the 18,267. <laughs> okay. And basically people plug in, like, states to try and work out. Because anytime you find a good one, that's the lower bound, right? It might be the answer, but yep. it might be the lower bound. So, oh, by the way, the 4,098 is suspected to be the answer, but it's not been proven. Um, Busy Beaver for seven is known to be greater than 10 to the 10 to the 10 to the 10 to the 18,705,352. So, this goes up impossibly fast. Fun fact about how fast it goes. It goes up so fast that for any sufficiently large n, the busy beaver function is greater than any computable function, which means the busy beaver is not a computable function. Okay. So it's so big, there is no general algorithm that can work out what the busy beaver function is. Because if you think about it, like, imagine you just tried to cycle through all the states. It might not It might not halt. And so in order to solve the busy beaver, you kind of need to solve the halting problem. Yeah. Um, which is known to be non-solvable. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, the busy beaver function, absolutely huge. Uh, by the way, there's going to be a lot of... Well, I'll, I'll get to this the end, but I'm thinking a lot about big numbers lately. And yes, uncomputably large. What this reminds me of is Langton's loops. So uh, there are a cellular or tormentor, one of the less popular ones. They're, they're not as big as, say, like a Conway's Game of Life or a Rule 110. But they have this similar sort of reading of tape going on. So they are on a grid, usually infinite, uh, and Langton's loops, they can take, each cell can take one of eight different um, values, in the same way that Cormac's Game of Life can take one of two different values, zero yeah, or one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, one of the states is kind of just, like, dead space. It's the thing that things grow into. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are rules there for, depending on which, how many of the different things in the eight around the square there are 
there's a big truth table of what it does next. So if it's got lots of um, this type and so many of that type and whatever, we'll look up in a little truth table in the next time step, what do I become? Yes. Yeah. And so the, the first three states, that, like the ones that fill up almost all of it, are there's the dead space, there's the kind of sheafing. It, these things are going to act a bit like wires. So it's like it's the insulator on the edge of the wire to mm-hmm. stop things spilling out into space. Yeah. And then you've got the almost like a, the metal part of the wire, the, uh, the thing which currents are going to flow along. Yes. Imagine you've got some piece of information in the wire that you want to transmit. You've got a big long line of the sheafing parallel to it above and below. You've got this one bit of data that's somewhere along the wire. And then just in front of it, you've got a space. And just behind it, you've got a wire. What you could do is you could, pro- could program this bit of data to, in the next time step, go into the empty space yep. for the wire to overwrite the piece of data yep. and for the wire behind it to become a new empty space. Yeah. So it moves along. Yeah. Everything shunts along. And so the main form of these kind of creatures is little loops mm. where uh, all of their DNA is just going around in a big loop around it. Right. But you could have it so that when they reach one of the corners of their loops, that they that's something fundamentally different going on. And so the data inside of the loop could know to do something different, like break out of the sheafing and start extending along that side. So you've got it going around in a square, but when a certain bit of information gets to the corner of that square, it breaks the sheafing and starts marching along in that direction Mm. Um, it does it for a certain amount of uh, distance until it's kind of run out of that DNA in that loop it will get to another bit where in the DNA it will say start constructing a corner it will have uh, made one side it will turn and then that same information going around the loop is being fed into it again and so it will do another side and then another side and then another side making a new square right once it intersects with itself again, it has some information there which uh, tells it to, like, cut itself off. And so now you've got the original square plus a new square. It's like it's storing all the information in its DNA for how to reproduce itself. In, in quite a compact yeah. way. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the numbers of states here, you've got, like, background, you've got sheaf, you've got wire, and then you've got the other five bits of data are, like, the instructions of kind of what to do. One is like construct edge, one is turn, one is uh, seal off new square, and one's uh, there to give information to go back to the original square for it to stop constructing that one, turn 90 degrees, and start constructing one on its next side. And so each loop, after a certain time period, has made one on one of the sides, turns 90 degrees, and then starts doing it again. Meanwhile, its firstborn offspring is creating its first generation. Mm. And so you get these things kind of spiralling out. Yeah. They're beautiful. You've shown me uh, videos in the past. Yeah. Uh, he uh, Langton had the ant as well, didn't he? Langton's ant, yeah. Langton, yeah, that's, yeah. Which, again, that's quite similar to this. It strikes me as a Turing machine in 2D, yeah. basically. Yeah. It, the ant uh, is facing a particular direction. It reads the colour of the square under it, either black or white. And, and with it that information, whether to turn. Yes. Yeah. 
And then, and then, like, look, you get some really complex behavior that comes out of that, and eventually it just starts running in one direction. Weirdly. Yeah, it's like chaotic behavior, and then it kind of gets caught in a loop, mm. where it then goes and builds this long diagonal forever. Yeah. These things are all hitting, like, it gets quite close to Turing machines. The chaos is interesting. It's whether you can get structure that is self-emergent from these things. So if you were to put random bits into, of information into these Turing machines, like when we were trying to solve the two states, we could have just tried it with random ones and see what happens. It's interesting if it creates, out of like just these random zeros and ones, some like little loop itself. In the same way that if you start Langton's loops of not quite as normal sized loops, then you get these weird rectangles. But these are, some of them die off quickly, some of them replicate, uh, are kind of fine and kind of replicate themselves. And the ones that do fine produce generations which do well, and so eventually they take over. Mm. So if you start with chaos on Langton's loops by starting them all with uh, different dimensions, eventually you usually get one which is nice and stable and it takes over the rest of the grid. Right. It overcomes the static. What I want here on this Turing machine thing is some sort of a breeding program. Right. Yeah. A bunch of Turing machines all running. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you could do it via... Um, evolutionary algorithm is the wrong word. I think I mean genetic algorithm. You just do one where it inherit, inherits some of the properties of its parents. Yeah. So generally runs. going left and going right is nice because it creates a loop. And yeah. so we'll have that sort of thing. Well, it's not thinking about that. It's just naturally taking on the eye structures of its parents. Would you want it on a zero initialized plate or would it be in, fu- in sort of fuzz- fuzzy space? I like fuzzy space. Yeah. That, that, so if you, if you have that, then basically it needs to run for... You, you don't really check if it holds. You just run it for a finite time and see how well it does. Yeah. And then if it's still alive, then you run it for a slightly greater amount of time. And if, if it's really not halting... It probably will halt if you have halt in there somewhere, just because of the probability. Like, as long as it's got halt in there somewhere, it's... And, uh, oh, and there's, you know, the, the graph diagram of uh, moving between the different states means that halt isn't isolated. Yeah. Um, then then it's probably going to halt somewhere. So you can just run and see when it halts. You'd be hard-pressed to find a non-halting one. While it's on my mind, Conway's Game of Life, talking about these kind of... um, Talking about actual life within Conway's Game of Life. So people have made a universal replicator in Conway's Game of Life, so something which can read an area of the grid and replicate it. Right. And so what you have something that is... It's something that can breed... Um, there exist static shields. So, Common's Game of Life is really susceptible to chaos. Yeah. Um, and so any, like, errant block that was in the wrong place just completely messes up any pattern. Hmm. There exist things where, if they encounter static, can withstand a certain amount of buffering. Hmm. Weather shields. Nice. And I love the idea of that, plus yeah. uh, a universal replicator, where it can move along, it can replicate, and it can uh, do so on a slightly bumpy terrain. Well, we used to talk about the uh, the physics. I was really interested in the physics of like entropy of life. Um, not entropy per se, because uh, that's kind of more the chemistry. Because thermodynamics is, is kind of, of like chemistry. 
there's, so there's things like the speed of light. Um, I was interested in um, Nerthus theorem, but in Conway's Game of Life. So what does symmetries imply the conservation of? Okay, yep. Yeah. Which I think uh, Nerthus theorem only really works in continuous. But space, we talked about so. like um, rotational symmetries and things being preserved. Yeah, yeah. yeah so there's rotational symmetries and things like that. Um, those are preserved because there's rotational symmetries within the rules themselves. Yep. Um, and then I, I remember us back in the in the original gentlemen's evenings, which is where alternate evenings comes. The name comes from. Um, we were talking about like the chemistry, like what would the chemistry mean of Game of Life, and, and what would the biology mean of Game of Life. I see. Going up the different scales. Going up the different scales. Yeah. So the individual kind of atoms are the individual on and off. But the uh, the molecules, they're the things like the uh, the blocks and the gliders and the yeah exactly. And you can go up once you know you've got gliders and things, you can use them. Like people use gliders almost as electricity to determine the states. Maybe the blocks aren't the atoms at all. Yeah. Maybe the gliders are more like. Um, oh man, I'm betraying my physics degree. I don't know what these are called, but it's the um, like gluons and photons. They are the, this type of particle, basically the particle that conveys a force. Uh, bosons. Oh, gauge. Okay. Gauge, gauge bosons. The, the, the gauge particles, force carriers, for example. Um, maybe like the, certain types of gliders are certain types of force carriers. So maybe there's like a layer below the physics, which is the really fundamental stuff. Anyway, yeah, super fun to think about and might go into a bit more detail on, an, on, an, on another one. Another episode. Yep. Potentially. Um, but there's a, there's a lot to Conway's Game of Life. Um, there's a video online, I think Numberphile did it, which is an interview with John Conway, and he's like, I'm so sick of Game of Life. It's all anyone talks about that I did. I did other stuff. Yep. Um, but too bad. It's too interesting. <laughs> so, um, another thing that I heard recently, just while we're on the topic of like life and, uh, and sort of complexity and things like that. Um, so life basically demands complexity. Or, or complexity is is what's required for life. If you if you have complete chaos, then there's no meaningful life there. If you have yep. complete order, like a rigid grid, there's no life there either. So the, they give numbers to a particular cellular automata. Automata. Yeah. Um, zero being that it. I can't remember which way around the scale goes, but one of the numbers, either zero or one, is it's completely chaotic. The other one is um, that it it completely decides like it always goes to this state right but you you can work out to quite a few decimal places like for commas game of life for I don't know Langton loops for Langton's ant where it is on the scale and Conway's game of life is the big one because it's it's in the right Goldilocks zone of having chaos 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 order and so the the flipping between order and chaos is essentially what complexity is yeah and so uh it is also a a matter of just facts in the universe that order moves to chaos. That's the march of entropy, essentially. The arrow of time is indicated by entropy, as best we can tell. Wait, order goes to chaos? Yes. Yeah. Chaos increases over time. Disorder increases. But having a heat death of the universe feels quite ordered. It's nice and uniform or flat. Mm. Empty. Uh, but the number of microstates are enormous, and so entropy is the uh, 
So entropy doesn't match to order and chaos per se. So these these are all kind of more lofty human terms we're using. Um, but entropy is, is is the number of different microstates. Okay. Um, and so if you take, for example, a teapot, the n- number of microstates is how rotated the teapot is and how rotated the teapot's lid is. If you smash both the lid and the and and the teapot, you're gonna have a bunch of different pieces, all of which can rotate. And so the number of microstates is massively increased. Got it. And so the heat death of the universe has a massive number of, of, of microstates. And so that's kind of considered chaotic because, oh, who knows what states what state it's going to be in. When it's ordered, it's like, okay, if I know this is here, then that one's there, and then that one's there, and so on. Got it. Um, and life is complexity, and complexity is basically the march from order to chaos in some way. Like it flips between the two in if you draw like a, a line down the middle and will eventually stay in chaos. Man, how did we get onto this? <laughs> um, you said you were think- thinking about life recently. I said I was thinking about large numbers recently. Oh. <laughs> if I've been thinking about life recently, then uh, then it is because of that stuff I just said. Um, I am actually reading a book, Scale, which we mentioned on the last episode. has a yep. bunch of stuff around life in it. I've also just bought, I think it's called The Demon in the Machine. Which is a book about the physics of life. It's okay. by Paul Davies. He did How to Build a Time Machine and The Mind of God and a bunch of other cool stuff. Good books, all of them. So the, the last thing I'm going to say on the, on the topic of um, uh, busy beaver functions is that I have given myself a little task. I came to busy beaver functions because of Googleology, which is this, the kind of informal study of large numbers. It's not yep. very academic because you will see things cited as like someone's username has found this rather than, you know, some kind of academic paper has found this. There are lots of great names for very large numbers. One of the largest numbers is called Oblivion. A number that's even larger than that is called Utter Oblivion. Mm, I don't like these big number ones because they're all named silly things. I like them because they're named silly things. I've made it my task to work out what in God's name utter oblivion is. Because if you go into it, if you look it up, it's like utter oblivion is uh, is the largest number that can be defined in a cungulus state, in a gongulus. And it's just like, come on. Uh, those, those those are real words, cungulus. I think gongulus is a real one as well. Um, and yep. it's just this massively expanding tree of priors that you need to know. Uh, the busy beaver function being one of them. So I'm glad that I've, I've uh, understood the busy beaver function because it's... Uh, a number of other things depend on it. It feels like with all these big number of things, you just keep feeding things back into themselves. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I think I don't think they're super enamoured with trying to find the biggest number they can. I think they're particularly interested in working out which numbers are bigger than others. Yep. It's the it's the comparative. It's not it's not an absolute. It's the uh, the comparison. Maths Jam was cancelled yesterday, so I thought we could do one of the problems on it together, because I didn't all, get to All it. Maths Jams? Well, mine was, in Worcester. Okay. Um, I put the file in the show notes. Yep. So I'll put it up for uh, everyone else as well. I'm looking at the bottom, it says, uh, the puzzle is called Gamble Shambles. Hmm. Um, so it's uh, some sort of probability thing. Hmm. So... In this particular example, it has a number line going from 0 up to 10. You start on 0, and you're going to roll a die 
So a normal six-sided one. Mm-hmm. You will move forward the number of spaces shown. Yep. And your aim is to keep doing that until you either land on ten or go past it. If you land on ten, you win. And you win a pound. If you go past ten, you lose. And it says, essentially, what's the expected value? How much are you going to win? And uh, what happens if you change it from uh, ten spaces into n spaces? Playing the game a hundred times, does that matter? It's just a hundred times the expected value. I think it's just making it so it's a nice number. The expected value is going to be the same as a proportion of a hundred as if you did ten thousand times. Yeah. For example, because each one has, has an expected number of times. Yep. Can I just go on a quick side thing about this? Yep. It really annoys me when statisticians, people who are trying to make statistics useful to the public, use the, there are a hundred people. What would these hundred people look like if, and then they overlay some clearly a percentage over yeah. the top. There are a hundred people in the world, this many of them are Chinese. Yeah, and it's just, it, like, I get, like, outreach and and trying to help people understand, but, like, that's really quite patronising. I think, to use the 100 people. Like, people know what a percentage is. Maybe I'm overestimating people would be the reaction someone would say to that. But I think people know what percentages are enough to understand what 60% means. It means 60 and 100. Like, at least do something interesting. Like, do, there are, I don't know, 300 people. <laughs> and then it's not the same as a percentage. But they always use 100. Anyway. Mm. Um, I, I think people hear percentage and they go non-visual. They're like, oh yeah, that's just a number. Yeah. Whereas there are a hundred people, I can picture them. I went to school, there were a hundred people that I knew. Yeah, but 30 would be better for that, because it's like, oh, here's a classroom. Mm. Or like 50, it's like, here's a house party. Well, it's quite a big house party. But uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, I get your point. I hadn't thought about it before. I think yeah. it's fine. Oh yeah, it's just something for me to get annoyed about. It's not something that I want to actually change. It's just every time it's like, rolls eyes. Right, so... This looks similar to the, the last thing we did. Yeah. How many different ways are reaching 10? Yep. By adding up the numbers 1 to 6. How many different ways are they reaching 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, which is the highest you can go? Yep. It's the exact same thing, <laughs> except, you know, you're adding together 1 through 6. And there's a kind of probabilisticness to it. Oh, yeah, and there's a probabilisticness to it. It feels like if you were more than 6 spaces away from the finish, it doesn't really matter. It feels like if we were going to a thousand, then you can almost just like shunt yourself up to randomly somewhere in the um, 994 upwards and then just go from there. No, because the probabilities will add up in the run up to it. Like the probability that you'll land on three is different from the probability you'll land on five. Probability you'll land on five is different from the probability you'll land on seven like once over the course of it if you went a long way if you made it a million steps into the future you think it would smooth out i, I think it must do doesn't in this case because we're doing one to ten but i think you're right so uh, let's say instead you were flipping a coin heads you go one space tails you go two spaces or whatever yeah if you go a thousand spaces into the future the question is like are you on an odd number or an even number there's a, a half chance ish it tends to a half yeah. The same here is true for a uh, six. The same is true for six on a, on a really, really long row. Yeah, that's what but I'm I think it's I, I think it's non, non-trivial if it's just between naught and ten. I think you're right. Yeah. Let's say we were at space number nine. 
Yeah. We've got a one in six chance of going to space number ten. We've got a one in six chance of winning. True. Assuming we're at space number nine. I'm going to work backwards. Okay. If we're at space number eight, we've got a one in six chance of winning straight away. Yeah. And we've got a one in six chance of going to number nine. Uh, Yep. Um, Other than that, we've got four in six chance of losing. Yeah. So as we go further back, so four, seven, six, five, whatever, each one has a sixth chance of winning straight away and a sixth chance of going to the next one. Yeah, I think this is potentially a fool's errand. Okay. Um, because you're walking backwards, but you're looking forwards. If you're walking backwards, you should look backwards. So if you're at number 10, there is a certain probability that you came from 9, a certain probability you came from 8. Yep. You know what I mean? Keep doing it how you're doing it, because I mean we've been doing N minus N problems for ages now. <laughs> and so... Uh, might get looped about a bit. Okay, yes. So, yeah, if you're on 8, there is a 1-6 chance you go to 9 and a 1-6 chance you go to 10. Yep. I feel like if you're going to be doing these, you want to start at 0 and propagate forwards, but this is but this is fine too. Okay. Yeah. So, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, those 6 of them, each have a 6th chance of winning and a 6th yep. chance of going to the one in front, a sixth, mm-hmm. and, and so on. Yeah. So, when you're at 4, there's a 6th chance of going to... Five, six, seven, eight, nine, yeah. or ten. And at that number, plus six, minus ten, divided by all divided by six, chance of landing uh, beyond ten. Yeah. Yeah. So one, two, and three; those are the ones where you are out of reach of winning. You know, one turn. I'm going to do a little tree of states. And I'm going to do Excel. I'll race you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Should I join you on the Excel? No, 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 no. Do, do, do a tree of states. I don't like that we're racing. <laughs> this was a collaborative show. <laughs> Hello, what number did you get? Well, I don't have an analytic solution. Nor do I. 0.28928861. Lovely, I got the same thing, and I've, I found a quick way of doing it. So my formula, in the top cell it equals a sixth multiplied by the sum of the next six cells, and then I've... Ye- dragged that formula down 10 spaces and then I've put a 1 in the last one. So, oh, in the last one? Yep. <laughs> so, what I'm saying here yeah. is if you're on space number 10, you've already won. So that's probability 1. Yep. Um, the one before it, well, if we start from the beginning, the first one, you've got a sixth chance of going to any of the next six spaces. So it's a sixth multiplied by the probability that you'd win if you're in those spaces. The next one, well, it's got a sixth chance of winning for each of the spaces after it, the next six spaces. So each one is just a sixth multiplied by the sum of the next six. Yeah. Keep going down. Well, I worried for ages that um, some of the ones, that would be including ones from after f equals 10. Yep. But actually they end up as zero anyway. The chances that you win if you're on space number 11 is zero. And so that's already taken into account. Okay. And so all you have to do is say, okay, the space we're trying to go to is space number 10. We'll put a one there. And it automatically churns through the rest for you. This is very similar to what I did, except the logic is completely the other way around. Okay. Go for it. We end up at the same number, so they're definitely equivalent. But the way that mine worked is I started with a one at the top. Yep. And this is the probability that 
you uh, reach a particular square. Yeah, okay. So the, the, the probability that you're on zero is one. Yeah. Because you start there. The probability that you're on one is one-sixth times the probability you're on zero, plus one-sixth times the probability that you are on, like, each other ones before then, which is all zero, um, which is all zero probability because you can't be on minus one. Yeah. Basically, for any square you're on, there's a one-sixth chance you'll move to the next one. It's just that it distributes that probability to the next, like, six squares in front of it. Yeah, I see. So essentially what you're doing is you're just doing, like, one-sixth times all the six behind it, where you just initialize it with five zeros and then a one. And then that spits out correct numbers all the way up to ten, but when you get to 11, you can't include 10. So you have to take that, that um, uh, I want to say factor, but what's the additive version of a factor? I don't know, kind of like chunking into its prime bits. Element. Well, it's just when you add three things together, what's each of the things you're adding it together called? I don't know. That's a really basic term. Anyway, so I, I, you take the, uh, oh, term, that's it. <laughs> that's the word term. It's a really basic term because it's the word term. You, so <laughs> you, 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 you take the term for 10 out. Yep. Because... You wouldn't have come from 10 because you won if you were at 10. And then when you were on 12, you take the term for 10 and 11 out because you either would have lost or won. Um, and so eventually, like, n equals 15 is just one-sixth times the probability you were at 9. n equals 14 is one-sixth the probability you were at 9 or 8. Yeah. And so on and so on. Um, and so what you get then is a bunch of different numbers, but the nice thing about it is that 10 through 15 sum to make exactly 1. Um, which means that uh, what I was saying before about dividing by the probability that you reach 10, 11, 12, 30, 40, 15, you don't have to do that because yep. you're just dividing by unity. So the answer is just whatever number you get for 10, which is 0.28928861. And I'm glad we came to the same answer. It's not quite the same as like competing with each other because this is just normally where you'd go away and saying, I'm doing some stuff, and I'd be like, okay, and I would stand at middle distance for 10 minutes. So yep. <laughs> this time I'm just doing things, and we've come to the same answer. It's fantastic. So looking at these numbers along the way, yeah. the least likely one that you're going to win from is if you're on space number nine. The least likely one you're going to win from. So, of all the states, if you're on space number nine, you only have yeah. one in six chance of winning. Ah, yeah. Your best space to win from would be space number four. It comes out as about 36% chance. 36% chance. But this is when we should combine our two Excel spreadsheets. Um, you have a much, you always have a slightly higher chance of reaching nine than you do of reaching four. So the probability you reach 9 is 0.28. The probability you reach 4 is uh, 0.26. Yeah. And the highest probability one that you're going to reach of all of them is 6, which is 0.36. Okay. So what we should do is we should multiply the two together <laughs> in some way, and I'm sure that would mean something. I think it's already taken into account of with both of our systems. Both of them have this recurrence thing. It's just which bit of the recurrence relation we're looking at. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What I've done is I've dragged my list really long just to see what happened oh yeah and the number converges in the spaces when you get nearer and nearer to your target number it becomes more erratic so like the one just before my target number is a sixth and it hops around a bit but if i go far away from my number then the probability equals out to this number 
2857. Incidentally, that's also the probability that you'll reach that yeah. number, which is, which is I've just now extended mine out. So yours is the probability that you'll win from that spot, and mine is the probability that you'll reach that spot at all. Yeah. And it's quite interesting that they, they converge to the same number to that many decimal places at 72, I have. Yeah. So when you're a long way from the number, it doesn't matter. You can be in any of these spaces. It's just when you get close, you want to land six away from your target number. That's the sweet spot. But basically what this means is if you, if you have the same probability of reaching any of six away or five away or four away or whatever, it just means that the probability that you'll land on your target number is um, one sixth. If you were six away, there would be a sixth chance. Because you have an equal chance of being on any of the six in front of it. Oh, no, that's but not how it works. But you also get No, no, no. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's not how it works. It's like by landing six away, you get the most opportunities to keep having goes at it. I'm just going to um, expand down to about 200, 175. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my formula and I'm going to do the appropriate, like, endy bit. You know what I mean? Yep. 0.2857 is the chance that you'll land on the end one. So for 1 to 10, the answer was 0.2892. So for 1 to 10, there's a only a very slightly increased chance that you'll land on it. Like the aberration for, for going from 1 to 10 is pretty insignificant Yeah. compared to the eventual answer. I'm trying to work out the analytical form of this number seeing oh. if I can make some loops and things of algebra to uh, fix it well what you would do is you would have like numerator and denominator as different columns and rows in Excel well, I'm trying to do some stuff with geometric series sums of geometric series because it, we've got a whole lot of like a 6 times a 6 times a 6 going on oh so just do 6 instead but they kind of nested it's a bit more complicated so if you're one step away from winning if you're on um, step 9 you've got a 1 sixth chance of winning if you're two steps away if you're on step 8 it ends up that you've got a 1 sixth multiplied by a 7 sixth chance of winning which ends up slightly bigger 1 sixth multiplied by 7 sixths yep if you're on step number 7 so three steps away from winning you end up yep. with a sixth multiplied by 7 sixths to the power of 2 Mm. that keeps going back so if you're on step number 4 you've got a 6 multiplied by 7 6 to the power of 5 at that point but after that it, the pattern breaks because so it's the answer is 1 6 multiplied by the sum from n equals 0 to n equals 5 of 7 over 6 to the power of n if you're within winning in one move, yeah. Beyond that, it's not quite the same, because you no longer definitely lose it with one of your moves. The 7 over 6s that you're using, yeah. is that derived from it's a, a six inf- an infinite, plus a one. infinite length list? Yeah. Right. So in 1 to 10, it might be slightly different. It is slightly different. Yeah. I'm running from the other way, so it does work with finite number, but I'm dealing with going backwards from the last step. So those ones are definitely true. But I don't have a nice analytical thing for the uh, long time away one. 
which is the one I'm really interested in. I want, where does this number 0.2857, which is like, so integral to the question. How could I get a similar number if we had a different sided dice? If we had like a, a d4, what would the number be then? What I want is, for a x step game with a dn, what's your chance of winning? Yeah, it has a lot of annoying like initial conditions built into it. Your first few, like one is going to be one over n because you've got a dn, and then two is going to be one over n plus one over n, one over n. Yeah. Right. Like you have this, you have these initial conditions, um, and then it's gonna propagate from there. Okay, I tried it for a d4 for a really long strip. Yep. And you've got a two-fifths chance of winning. Long term. Because it hovers exactly. about around 0.400000 number and 0.39999 number. Hmm. Okay, which is just a floating point. Yeah. Thing. yeah. And again, the only interesting points are when it gets actually close to the end. So if you're one step away from the end, you've got a quarter chance of winning. Two steps away, you've got a uh, quarter times a five over four, and so on. So when it gets a few steps back, that becomes interesting. So, as a table here, if you've got a D4, probability of you winning on a long strip is two-fifths. If you've got a D6, your probability of winning on a long strip is 0.285714 What I'm going to try and do here is come up with a nice pattern in general. Oh. For six... On a long strip, the probability that you win at all is 1,020 divided by 6. I don't know where 1,020 comes from. It's really annoying and frustrating <laughs> that we're both taking different like angles at this yep. in terms of my model works out the probability you'll land on any particular square and your model works out the probability that you'll win as long as you're on a particular square. <laughs> yeah. So we're basically talking past each other a lot. Oh, damn it. What? Okay. Do you know what a seventh is? I should have recognised this number, Alex. I feel embarrassed. It's 0.142857. 142857. It repeats. Yeah. As you do two sevenths, three sevenths, and so on, you just churn around the digits. Yeah. You cycle through them. Oh, it is a seventh. Yeah. The way that I realised it had to be a seventh here, and then I was like, oh, yeah, of course, is... If I have a D1, the probability of me winning is 1. Because I just go 1 space forward every time, so I definitely hit the end space. If I had D2, I've got a two-thirds chance of winning. Why? Well, I just plugged it into the formulas, but... You have a two-thirds chance of winning because if you're on the end bit, you have 50-50 chance of winning, and then if you're on the one before that... Yeah, that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. With a D3, you've got half chance of winning, which is a, a two-quarters chance of winning. Oh, so it, it, the two remains. Yeah, so it's like two over two, two over three, two over four, two over five, two over six, and then R1 was two over seven. Um, yeah, it is just twice the seventh. And so on a long strip for a DN, you have a two over N plus one chance of winning long term. Hmm. Cool. Don't know why, but great. Yep. I'm, I'm happy with that. There's a, probably a really intuitive reason for why out there. This is a, just strikes me as the type of thing where it's just like, oh yeah, super, super obvious. 
So there's an email from Will Hemmons, who's been emailing us a fair bit. This is the fallout of, of people listening to the back catalogue, which we always encourage, always email us about previous problems. We will continue to say it to the end of time. But you remember the ducks on a pond problem? Yeah. It was like, what's the probability that a duck is all on the same side? Yeah, it was a circular pond, and are they in the same semicircle? So, it's come up with an analogy for the ducks problem. Okay. It's a game for N people. So you can think of a pond a bit like a clock. Okay. You know, it's circular, it's divided in pieces. If you imagine a game for N people, one player places their piece on 12 o'clock, and everyone else puts their piece on a random time on the clock face. Okay. What's the probability all pieces lie within a single six-hour period? So, same problem, right? Uh, but that's discretized. I don't think he's talking about putting them on particular o'clocks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Starting at 12... The probability that any single piece is within six hours is 50%. So the probability that all n minus 1 is 50% to the power of n minus 1, which is the uh, solution that we got for the duck problem, right? Yep. And so you can use that sort of like, without loss of generality <laughs> type thing. I think we've already gone through the solution from a, another person emailing it. Mm. But it's basically the same. I just think of it like a clock. Okay. Um, yeah. You you start with one of the ducks. Each of the ones round to the right from it has a half chance of being the same half. Yeah. So that's n minus one opportunities for success. Uh, so each of them is a half to the power of that. But yeah. you had n different ducks to start with. So it's n multiplied by one over two to the power of n minus one. Yeah, you get sort of n chances. You sort of look at the next duck or look at the next piece on the clock. Because yep. the solution was n over 2 to the n minus 1, wasn't it? Yep. Um, and so it's like, okay, it might not work for the 12, but maybe it'll work for the one that's at 7. Yep. Because yep, yeah, you take it. 12, yeah, yeah. It might work the one that's at 7. So, yeah, you get n chances at looking at these. It feels like a lot of information is destroyed in that method. Yeah. I, I was actually thinking about this problem the other day because uh, one of my students in class asked me about a problem. So if you pick four points on a sphere I think this is on the surface of a sphere but it doesn't matter yeah. if not yeah. uh, what's the chance that the tetrahedron that they make has the centre of the sphere within it yes this is a three blue one brown video oh is it okay yeah yeah. Oh, that channel is influencing all of my students I know well it's good I mean it's a very good channel but uh, yeah it gets, gets in under the brain but that problem is like the 3D version with, of the ducks it's um, what's the chance they're all in the same hemisphere? Yeah. I need to watch the whole of that channel. I feel it's now my duty as a maths teacher. There's a lot to catch up on. Mm. Yeah. It is really good. I spent most of my um, Mauritius holiday lying on the beach watching three blue one three three blue one brown videos and listening to the Sleepy Cabin podcast, which is the podcast that influenced my push to get us to put jazz music underneath the uh, us talking at all times. Because they had echoey piano music under at all times. That's where I got the idea. So that Mauritius holiday has a lot to answer for. Cool. So, new listeners, you may be surprised to hear that there is yet another section to this podcast. What it is, is we go through all the things that we did in this episode and we rate them. Um, what what are we rating them on? How satisfied we are. How satisfied we were. So what was the first thing we did? 
Uh, so this is the problem from Will Hemmons um, about rugby training. So it was, it was grouping people, the 30 people, into groups such that they could do this particular uh, regime and it actually makes sense. Like mm. There'd be the right number of people to throw to. And he was asking about how many ways we could divide up. Now, the problem was we had N equals 1 as a valid solution. Other than that, it was just the primes other than 2 and 3, up to 30. Yeah. And f- if it was just those, it would be only 6 solutions. However, partitioning numbers down into things that could include 1 blew up the possibilities. Yeah, quite messy. We tried doing it with the music thing from a couple of episodes ago. But the music thing cares about the order of the groups, and so it overestimated. By quite a lot. Yeah. By quite a lot. <laughs> Six verses, yeah. And so you got an answer somewhere between 36 and, what was it, 19,000 or something? Yeah. So, how do we do these partitions? That's the question to the listeners. Yeah. I thought there was nice things to say on that one. Yeah, I like that. And I I like it when it comes from an actual setup of problem. An everyday setup of problem rather than Aisha and Ben are going to the market to buy six monkeys, each with 12 fingers on each hand. How many pencils can they hold? Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, so, eight. It was good. Oh, I had seven in my head. Cool. Then we discussed the busy beaver function. Oh, I, I like thinking about these uh, chewing machines. Hmm. I, I don't think I've ever actually had a conversation about them. I, I've read some Wikipedia articles in the past. but I didn't know what a chewing machine was until I researched this problem. Right, so, okay. yeah. I knew it had something to do with going left and right on a big strip, but I didn't know how it worked. Now I do. Well, it's made me hanker to play Minecraft again and get out some pistons and uh, make some strips that I can read. Out some of things, yeah. Chains of blocks. Yeah. And from it, we talked a lot about cellular automata and things. Yeah, we did as well. So, seven. I think it's a good seven as well. In my head, when I was setting this up, I thought we would talk a lot more about like the large number thing, the uncomputability thing aspect of it. That was what I've been jamming on like the whole like last couple of weeks when I've been thinking about this. But um, it's actually just pretty interesting just to try and work out what the busy beaver is for any state. Like it becomes a nice yep. little problem. And I think moving around the matrix of the state graph is uh, is interesting. Uh, there are some good gifs online of the uh, the progress of the busy beaver as it goes about its way. Um, so it has some sort of like fundamental computing stuff in it, but I like that it links into Googleology and sort of big numbers and things because it just just explode yeah. in how large it is, bigger than yeah, bigger than any computable function, which is uh, I think is a a good claim to fame for a function where right? you're so large you cannot be computed. Uh, but it, but it is kind of, yeah, it's kind of a seven because we veered into chit chat. But chit chat that's is always interesting, even if we don't solve things. Yeah. Well, we did some solving. We did the two state. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. And then the last one we did was uh, one from Mathjam. Got some Mathjamming out of my system. Yeah. The shouts that they design always brilliant. The shouts are good. There's always one or two good things on there. Worth turning up to your local maths jam. Head to mathsjam Com? Yep. For more information. They're all over the world. And um, they're about once a month. And it's just doing puzzles with people down the pub. They should get mathjam.math. Can you get .math? Is that a thing? Mm, I'm not into these alternative domains. Yeah, no, they just re- they just released .dev the other day, which is pretty good. 
Seems a long time coming. This problem was us dealing with the probabilities. So it's a bit like if you're on a snakes and ladders, but without any snakes or ladders, you're just following a, a long strip of board. Mm. What's the chance that you land exactly on the end square rather than overshooting? Yeah. And uh, I'm glad my in- initial intuition of it long term, just tending to a particular number, was right. And I like the, the pattern of numbers that we got from these. Hmm. I, I like that it came out as two sevenths, and then I just the ha- whole pattern of other ones. It's not quite finished in that I want to know why two sevenths. I need to play around with the geometric series, I think, on these ones. If it did have snakes and ladders on it, or shoots and ladders, if you're from the US, that wouldn't make it blow up to infinity, would it? Because everything has a sort of like one sixth multiplier on the front of it. Yeah. So, yeah. again, you only care about what it is at the end. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I get that. I'm just, I'm just wondering whether the um, you create a feedback loop if you had something that put, pushed you backwards. But it's not a feedback loop because the uh, the multiplier on on each loop is less than one, so it would converge. It'd just be really hard for Excel to calculate if you're doing it in Excel. You've got to go like, like what you want square here square. are Markov chains. It becomes matrix multiplication. There are a whole lot of different states it can be in. Each one has a whole lot of probabilities of where it can go to the next place. And um, to work out the expected value of where it is after a certain number of steps, it's just multiplying a whole lot of matrices together. Yeah, I guess it would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some people that are doing further maths at A-level will have um, done some modules on this. But it's certainly something that you'll do in probability when you get to university, doing a degree in maths. I don't remember that from my further maths. I would have liked to have done Markov chains. See, in some exam boards, rather than others, I didn't mm. do it when I was doing further maths either. No, uh, I did OCR. Yeah. But uh, maybe things have changed over the years anyway. Um, nine. Yeah, pretty good. I'm going to nine that as well. Um, why didn't we put in... Oh, yeah, because there was no super intuitive, knocking out the park reason as to why the analytic solution we got was the solution. Yep. It was just the pattern we observed. So, if anyone has a great reason why, let us know. Cool. Well, thank you very much for coming along to the show. This is the longest recording session we've ever done. (laughs) We're coming up to three hours now. Oh, God. Hopefully I can edit this down to an hour and a half or an hour and 15. There was a lot of just sort of sitting quietly thinking about Turing machines or sitting quietly doing Excel. So, it should be a lot of compression. Um... (laughs) Uh, uh, maybe whole sections will be cut. Who knows? Who knows? There's nothing wrong with a long episode. It's just uh, it's just my own sanity editing. Um, so we hope you enjoyed it. This is potentially the longest episode ever that we've ever done. If you would like to pass comment on anything that you've heard, even if it's not to do with the problems, even if it's just like, oh, hey, you got a stupid accent, then that's fine as well. I don't want to hear um, that. No, I mean, we don't... Yeah, <laughs> Just send that one. To, just send that. My DMs are open on Twitter, which you'll find out in a sec. Just send that one to me. Then the way that you can do that to pass comment, as previously mentioned, is to go to oddsandevenings.com. There's a button you click contact, and there's a form you can fill in, and it will land in our inbox. If you want to get reached directly to that form, it's oddsandevenings.com forward slash contact. We are on Twitter. It is our main home base. Twitter.com forward slash oddsandevenings. We are also individually present. Uh, on the internet uh, you can find me at twitter.com slash speakmouthwords and I lied earlier you can't find Alaric anywhere sorry please leave an honest review on iTunes if you enjoy us we would love to um, sort of 
spread the love of the show around a little bit, something that I want to talk about is the fact that I don't think we've had a listener from every single US state. We can see where you're all from, and certain areas are understated and certain areas are, are overstated. Uh, if you have someone from a relatively less populated area that you know that might enjoy the program, uh, just send the show their way. Or just anybody. You know what? Just anybody. Like, it's a good show. People who like it, like it. We don't know our churn figures, so... Um, yeah, worth, worth introducing it to people, I think. Especially if you have other mathematicians in your life. Um, we aim for a level that they're probably at. I mean, we like to aim for this, like, you've done a maths degree or, like, a, come some, some kind of science degree in the past, but, frankly, we get a lot of, like, pre-university people to listen to us, too, so... Um, whatever. My mum listens. She doesn't even done no maths. Oh, nothing. Yeah. My parents don't. Anything else? No, nope, I think that's it. Go to your local maths jam. That's all we got to say. And tell people they have had us. <laughs> uh, we're not that desperate. We just like to do the show. Uh, and we hope you like listening to it. Uh, see you next time. I think so- the spider bite is going down. <laughs> the powers are weakening. <laughs> It'll take you a little longer to multiply by eight. I turned it off, I moved to the left, and I became confused.